please be aware that the following hour of broadcasting contains descriptions of poor mental health, including suicide, which may be distressing to some listeners. If this type of content's a trigger for you, you're welcome to join us after the hour. Please also be aware that the following hour will contain strong language. Thank you. We're putting up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell me boys for a hard and weekly pay Produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA Hello, this is Ralph Edwards, Acca, Warren from the Concrete Gang And I'll be presenting a fill-in Concrete Gang show during their well-earned summer break This is part of an ongoing series called Creatures of the Industry And that's going to record the people who made our industry over the last 50 years as they reflect on that history and their time in it. We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face. We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place. We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains and break a couple of concrete pours to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. And now, part two of the Creatures of the Industry interview with Tommy Watson, Danny Gardner and Noel Washington. Enjoy. They've completely taken the right of organiser away and they've taken the right to strike away, promise and, and that's, why it, that's why it's harder today. Yeah, but that was also under the Fair Work Act, which was introduced by the Rudd government. Yes. Correct, yeah. So we've, we've had a period of the two major political parties coming together, my submission, mm. to basically hinder the ability of trade unions and, and their members to look after their interests as they had done for 150 years beforehand, since uh, 1856 when we got the eight-hour day. But one of the problems is, personally, I always believed it was very important to be in the ALP. I'm a life member of the ALP, right? Very important. But the ALP is a sideshow. The main event is the industrial side of things. That's the main event. But then you had, like, the Clarks and the Stormont and Packers and all those unions where politics was first and industrial was second. And, and so when the ALP came in, state or federal, all they'd done was deals for pre-selection and, and, and they sold people down the road just to get pre-selection and power within the ALP. Where, where other unions, and I'm talking about metal workers, iron workers, you know, and, and certainly some of the CFMU today, politics is important, but it's a sideshow. It's a sideshow. That's the difference. So if the unions were to reorganise, surely, in my view... That is the issue to reorganise around. I'd go as far as to suggest that the original right of entry provisions didn't come from nowhere, that it didn't come from the good grace of the employers. In fact, when um, I think it was when Keating was the Prime Minister, the right of entry had a uh, provision in it that um, would threaten employers with uh, prosecution if they hindered a union mm-hmm. official. And put yourself in a worker's position. He feels under threat. 
they're highly casualised. Uh, you never see the union official uh, because you're not allowed to come in. Uh, why would you? Why would you be a member of a union that won't fight for itself, for its own existence, for its own ability to represent you? Uh, in my view, the union movement needs to look at campaigning for right of entry and start again. But sadly, the, the willingness doesn't appear to be there. If we put all of our faith, as Tommy said, in the political process, we'll get crumbs. If we are prepared to back that up with some good old-fashioned mass meetings and rallies and such, you, history has shown that that's when we've advanced. And sadly, um, and I, I don't want to sound like, you know, in my day, son sort of thing, but that, to me, clearly is the thing that's listening, are missing. And when you have private discussions amongst union officials, they all agree. But when it gets to the, uh, to the official forums... And it seems to be all too hard. Well, one of the, when Fraser was in power, we had a wages freeze. A lot of people forget that. We had a wages freeze. And unions were doing deals with the ALP for the Accord. And I was the supporter of the Accord. I, I, I told hundreds and thousands of workers I supported the Accord. I didn't support the fourth Accord or the fifth or the seventh or the eighth. The court went too long, far too long. Mm. And, and, and we had all these consultative committees. Remember Socialist Forum? Mm. And union officials are sitting on consultative committees, mm. not out doing industrial matters. And when we got a pay rise, it went through the court. Mm. The boss gave the workers a pay rise. The union never. The union just stood up in court and said, we want 3%. We got three, and that was it. And we were too busy doing other things because the LP was in power. We didn't want to upset Hawke and Keaton. We didn't want to have arguments... So we went along with things, and I don't think we've, the trade union movement's ever recovered from that period. Same thing happened under the Fair Work Act. I don't think we've recovered. But look, I think one of the things we, we and, and you, you people were the ones who were involved in these discussions, and with, whether it was Rudd, whether it was Gillard, the commitments that were given to you about the ABCC, about all these other things, and look you in the eyes, shake hands, and this is what we're going to do. We get elected, we are going to do this. Get elected, what do they do? Fuck you. Well, in Rudd's hey. case, he didn't even wait to get elected before he did that. But no. we were at the meeting. So yeah, when you when you put yourself in that position, you know, I say it's a political and industrial has in, you know, some intertwining there. But when they give you commitments to do that, to to appease the employers, to please people like that, who will never in a million years vote for them, never. Why? why, why? I couldn't get to around my head that that's what they would actually do. People who actually got them into power, and I think you've seen the same thing that's happening in West Australia. In the early days, McGowan was all over him. You try and get to talk to McGowan now, he doesn't give a fuck about the unions. Doesn't, doesn't happen, doesn't need them now. But if you relate all of that discussion um, to members on the job, and you look at numerous construction projects, the Orica one I mentioned, all of those workers came with these. Uh, from a job in South Australia. They weren't highly politically in tune with what unions did in Victoria. In fact, I think they were brought over for their um, reluctance to be members of unions. But when the union delivered, and it took some time, I remember Big Adam, he he worked for you in the civil gang, was on the job as a concreter. He just poured scorn on them when we had the mass meeting to report that we'd been... Adam Adam Moore. That we'd been successful. And Adam said... Well, now all you blokes that said it was impossible, you won't take it, of course. But out of that win, we created a, a good 
union feel on the job. Um, the uh, the diesel, for argument's sake, a lot of people were selected not for their union affiliation, for the opposite. Mm-hmm. But there were good conditions, they well were well looked after, there was a good shop steward structure, and when they were called on to take industrial action, they did so without hesitating. So, um, I think the members of unions generally are looking for leadership. And if the unions are going to allow themselves to be pigeonholed, they've simply sown the seeds of their own demise, to say nothing of the, of the workers that rely upon them. Um, so, um, I would hope, I would hope, and there was some, some expectation that... Um, the ACTU in more recent times would be taking a more militant line, but they seem to have um, quickly forgotten all of that. So I suppose that's just our frustration, having spent so long to see what is possible, that people are willing to be organised and want to be organised, uh, yet are not given the opportunity um, to campaign. So can we just change direction slightly? Going back to when you first came into the industry, going right through to now. What do you think were the most important achievements, breakthroughs, and what were the biggest defeats? Well, from, your, from each individual's perspective. At my retirement, I, I, I said that I'd seen two of the best conditions a trade union ever got was shorter hours and super. Yeah. Not double time for overtime and wages and all that. I think super and shorter hours were the two greatest things that the Victorian trade union movement achieved in my lifetime. We've had plenty of defeats. But every time we've had defeats is... Uh, I mean, Mudgeonberry and all those... We had union people on picket lines and union people crossing picket lines. Same with the iron workers and the BLF. Union members on picket lines, union members crossing picket lines. When we do that, we, we one side always gets beat. But when we work together, I mean, I mean, super today. I mean, I'm living on my super that I put away when I was a worker. What would have happened, to my father, if he'd done the same as me, he would have got a gold watch, a week's wages, and went straight on the pension, and would have survived. Wouldn't have lived. He would have survived. There's a difference. I live. I can go on a holiday. I can buy a jag, I can do all sorts of things. My parents couldn't do that before me. I mean, when I was a kid in England, my father used to go to work on a Saturday morning for a single time. He used to work 44 hours a week. Now they're working 35 and 36. Nobody works 40 hours a week in this country, I don't think. Nobody. And, and, and that came from the Altona complex and, and all those arguments in the sit-in and, and the 18-week picket line at Hearst Chemicals at, at, at Goodrich and all those issues. That's where it came from. It came from a, a small active group of people and it spreads. I mean, what we used to do, with, as, as Noel said at the beginning, from job to job, we used to create a condition on a job. The next agreement would improve on that, mainly money, mainly things like that. You know, We, we, we keep improving all the time. And the boss used to get the shits. They used to argue. But, but at the end of the day, they had the contract to build it. So they get the contract, then they used to come and see us and do wages after. Then, then they started to get smart. They used to come to us first, do a deal, then go and get the contract. Because I remember the, the day after Ballerstone got Amy Stadium, right? 
Not Abe, what's it called? Um, Marvel. Marvel Stadium, right? Colonial in those days. Yeah, colonial. I was sitting in the room of Van Kemp and Ballerstone walked in. They had long eyes, they'd been on the piss all night, they'd won the contract. And the first thing they said to, to, to Van Kemp was, we can't build it in the timetable. I said to them, well, why did you contract for mm. for the timetable? Because it was all about Barbara Streisand. It was nothing to do with football. Mm. Barbara Streisand was booked, right? And it was all about... And they said, we can't... You know what they said? If we had a longer timetable, we wouldn't have got the job. Mm. So the first thing you think of, Jesus Christ, these people are going to be working extra hours. Safety's going to be low. You know, they're going to be working in climate. Well, all those sort of arguments is that the boss... It's not the sharpest pencil who gets the job. It's the one who can do it in time. In time. So when you've got everybody... And in them days... And, and what happened is with the Patton EBA, the Patton EBA in this state... And, and we used to go to National Council and Executive, same with you, Ralph. And every secretary used to admire the Victorian. We used to walk in and say... 1500 and 1600, remember all them days? And, and Queensland said, Oh, we've got four, and New South Wales, they haven't got any. Mm. Right? Mm. So it made every employer and every worker work under the same conditions. And when you tender for the job, you tender on those conditions. The old days used to get the job, and then you'd argue the wages. When I first started in the industry, we used to have a blue on every job for side allowance. And if you won the side allowance, you won the job. If you got beat by the boss, it wasn't a good job. And when we used to sit in the shed with the rain, we never got paid. We'd sit in the shed, never got paid. Mm-hmm. Never got public hot, got nothing. You know, we'd just sit in the shed, no boots, no overalls, usually a dry dunny, yeah. mm-hmm. usually sit on a bag of cement, usually. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just, at every time you walked off the job in Clement Weather, you got docked. That's the way it was when I started. Yeah. Got, we've come a long way since then. <laughs> so, to summarise, three things. Super. Shorter hours, but the pattern agreement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Danny? Well, I, look, mine's similar. It is. It's uh, the shorter hours, absolutely. The uh, superannuation and, and the benefits that have gone with that, as Tom says. But I also think uh, workers' compensation as well. I think that's probably one of the things that, that has really uh, shot ahead, and, and rightly so. I can tell you, my, my father died at work at the SEC in Yarraville. Five kids. I'm the eldest. I'm 16, so there's no problems for me. But the four younger ones, I think my mum got no weekly payment. My mum got something like about £6,000, which is $12,000. And she wasn't allowed to use any of the money unless it was to use for the kids for the shoes. So I think one of the things that we've seen that the, the benefits have gone through there is those three. And that's, that's, that's the way that I think would be probably the three that I would look at over the time but again starting back you know like working in in um, <coughs> I worked on that uh, Megats you know, the linseed oil job exactly the same they they had a shed but it was only to keep the bolts dry it wasn't to keep us dry there was no there was no there was no hot water there was no milk you know there was, there was no nothing like that and I think that where that's gone and and, uh, and where, where we've ended up with that you go into some of the sheds now across the tell you what you could probably live there from from when you look at those days and you look at the days and working in Altana. The only benefit I, that I've seen coming out of the, the sitting in the sheds with no rain uh, when it was raining and no pain not being sent home was that a lot of those days you sat within the shed with a lot of activists. You know, you would sit in the sheds and you'd hear the, you'd hear the debates and the arguments. You know, I, I uh, worked in Altana and we're in this, we're working for Pet Chem, we're in this bloody shed. 
I think half the shed was, was ex-communist party or communist party and, and the debates that you'd hear and you'd talk and you'd, you'd just listen. You know, I'll tell you, the things that you'd pick up, I think it helped us or it certainly helped me in my way of uh, becoming union official and using some of the arguments and, and listening to some of the experiences. So I think that's one of the things that I, I really look at too. More educational than everyone heads down looking at their mobile phones. Well, that's, that's one of the things you look at now, you know, I think I've said... Yeah, we're in a shed where we're on on a site, bloke sitting there from here to me and they're on the phone, I'm looking at and the bloke goes like that. I said, You just text him. He says, Yeah. So why don't you speak to him? So I can't be bothered talking to that. <laughs> so my my summary. Shorter hours, superannuation and uh, and benefits for for, um, for workers' compensation and also the social side of it with uh, with Inkling with what happens. Well, sure. And I think there's one other subject we can cover in the same thing, and that's what's influenced or who's influenced us over the years. Undoubtedly, members and the discussions you have with them. But we were all very fortunate. We worked with and learnt from some very good officials in the past. Mm-hmm. Neville Hill yep. obviously was a standout um, in terms of um, exposure with him in the Altona complex. Um, Jimmy O'Neill. Um, was an excellent, excellent construction organiser, or he had his own ways, but don't we all? Both of whom were officials with the AMWU. AMWU. Ex-man to the comments. Um, Frank yeah. Cherry, yeah. Um, another metal worker. He ended up the state secretary of the AMWU at some stage. Yeah. And even there was the odd person in the ironworkers, believe it or not. On his day, Harold Hollowell was as sharp as a um, as a axe. Yeah. And he could... He had an instant recall on his feet. I'd rarely seen any better. The only trouble was, as soon as the boss offered him something, he'd grab it. <laughs> but apart from that, um, we were fortunate. We learnt from some of the very best um, uh, officials, and anything that we can claim to be part of was because of their influence. Um, in terms of um, our best and our worst, when I started at the Shell Refinery, there was a 35-hour work, um, and the oil and petrochemical industry was the only industry that had shorter hours in the country, and it took a long time to flow it out of there, but we did eventually, and it's certainly a good thing. It's increased uh, family leisure time, and therefore welfare of our members, no end, um, and it was a great achievement. Um, Superannuation, obviously, we're all living on our superannuation. It didn't exist in the early 80s, um, or it only existed for the privileged. Um, And as people get older, they'll appreciate that more and more. I think in terms of defeats, well, you know, campaigns and issues came came and went. I can't remember too many defeats per se. Um, I'm sure there were some, and I'm sure there were some that will remember them. But I think the greatest tragedy I've seen, although I didn't think that much about it at the time, was the deregistration of the builders' labourers. Because it turned people against each other and it affected the earning capacity of the people that we looked after, riggers, scaffolders, crane people, labourers. Quite clearly, when we started with the FEDFA, um, the, 
large areas of it were de-unionised. The conditions had slipped back a long, long way. And there was an inability um, for people to address it. For argument's sake, when SECA started with the CFMEU and went into the western suburbs, he signed up people hand over fist by turning up and being there. He had a particular recruiting style, like join or fuck off, but apart from that, um, people were quite willing to come back. So that, in my view, um, was the biggest tragedy. We can debate the reasons why, for, and who was right and wrong, but I think it's fair to say there's always two sides to a story. Um, And I certainly didn't think that deeply about it at the time, I'll confess, but in the fullness of time, that was that was a tragedy. Um, so, in in summary, clearly the flowing on of the shorter hours out of the Altona complex, uh, superannuation, um, and the unions, in particularly the CFMEU, did turn its attention to the welfare issue of its members. As Tommy said, work is just not eight hours a day. Um, and I think there's a lot to be proud of. And I'm certainly proud to be involved in some of it. So can I just suggest that there may be two periods of time in your minds. There was the period really around the, the breakout from the wages freeze under the Fraser government where my memory is that some of the wage deals that were done were $65 a week. That's one figure I can remember. 17.5%. There was 17.5% already from the Whitlam government, but there was also, with the shorter hours, the 38 went to everybody under the award, but a hell of a lot of people under registered agreements got 35. I remember the paint industry was one example where they had an eight-week... Picket line, locked out, eight weeks on the picket line, 135. Mm. That was a very significant period of time. But it was accompanied not only by a wage freeze, but by a downturn in the economy. And then the second period of advance was in the early to mid-90s when momentum started building in the construction industry. Going back, we can all tell war stories, but would that be a reasonable summary of your highlight periods in the construction industry? Well, I, or have you got some more you think? I, I often remember? say, and I've said to you on the car on the way down, mm. my personal opinion, I've seen the best of the trade union movement. Mm-hmm. I've seen the best of the ARP. I've seen the worst of the trade union movement and the worst of the ARP, right? But, but as people have said, the, we, we made more achievements in the 80s and that was mostly through the Metal Industry Award, mm. and we campaigned, and workers were seasoned campaigners. We used to have shop stewards meetings, mass meetings, everything, and, and we certainly achieved a lot. I'm not saying we've lost to them, we certainly achieved a lot. And, and, and there was lots of reasons because of that. I mean, when we started with the iron workers, we did everything. We basically did work cover. We had a combat officer. We did all our own court cases. Yeah. You could be on a construction job in the morning. You could be in a foundry in the afternoon. 
The next day you could be a BHP. So so we were, we did it all, right? Did it all, and 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 not a, and I'm talking about Jimmy O'Neill and Neville Hill. All those mm. people were talking about. And then days you did everything, mm. and and you were seasoned. Today, if you're a union official today, you, you ring up a lawyer or an industrial officer. Industrial officer does all the court cases. Mm. If it's health and safety, you ring up the safety department. Organisers today don't even do agreements. They don't even do wages and conditions. Mm. An organiser today has a, a set, they go on to a job, that's all they do, and, and look, look after members. We've got specialised, and in the old days, you did everything. And I'm not saying we're, best, we're good at anything, but, but it certainly gives you an, an up. And, it, mm. and, you, and we used to stand on the stump and debate with members and debate with other unions. That's all gone today. I mean, that's, as I said, when I first started, left, right, centre, everybody knew where everybody was. Now it's just a blur. I don't know who's who in the zoo now. It's just, you know, one minute you're left, next minute you're right, blah, blah, blah. We, we, swapped, we, we, we swapped from right to left, but we're always left anyway. Mm. We were never right people. You know, that, that, that was the difference, you know. We, we, we had politics. And I'm not talking about, and when you talk about politics, I'm not talking about ALP politics. Industrial politics is, is completely different. Right. Industrial politics are completely, you know, if you stand the boss up, that's politics. If you say to the boss, hang on, that's, po- that's, that's political. You know? Working out which side you're on. Yeah. Well, brother, I met you yes. at Namco, out Namco. in Noble Park, the first time I ever met you. That's right. That would have been... 79. 79 or 80, yeah. one yeah. of the two. Yeah, 79. And that was a mixed shop. Yes. With a number of unions there doing a whole lot of different things. Iron workers, missos, storm packers, metal workers. Yep. Yeah. It was funny. Furnishing old, trades. Furnishing trades. Oh, like, yeah. well, that's what, in those days, uh, and you talk about politics, you'd go to an ALP conference, you'd have on one side, you'd have all, you knew who all the left wing were, you knew who were the right wing. But on the job, like the, the National, or like Storm and Packers, on the job, they, they were as militant as anybody. Getting to the ALP, <laughs> totally changed. You know, we, we used to, uh, we did the paper industry, shorter hours in the paper industry, massive dispute there. Yeah, picket lines uh, took took weeks and weeks and weeks to get get that over the line. It happened again, mainly through uh, through through the industrial action. But you talk about some of them, the people who who you dealt with. Yeah, look, it was right across the board. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we worked Marty Bingham. We worked with Marty on the on the Westgate Bridge. You know, Martin became union official with the BLs. And yeah, when we had the big power line uh, demarcation, which was something that in the end, it's one of one of the, I think, ironies of, of, of all time. We win it as ironworkers, and then three or four years later, we're on the other side thinking, wish we had it got done, because we we, the, the, all, all the, uh, uh, everything would have been coming across to us. Went to the High Court? Yeah, went to the High Court, mm. about who was eligible to do that work. Yeah. We win it, but then four years later, we think, fucking hell, it would have been better if we had lost. There were a few as blues oh, in that period, Omega... Omega. Light towers at the light MCG. Towers. Yeah. But see, the funny with, with the just, light just towers. Sit, let me tell you how the power line started. It was yeah. an accident. Yes. Right? Up at Clint Rowan. This, we, is, yeah. this is the stuff up theory of no, history, no. right? The iron workers had no members on the power line. Not one. Yeah. Not one. Yep. There's a phone call comes in the office. Hmm. There's a person sacked at Glen Rowan, hmm. and me and Danny got delegated to go up there. When we get up there, we were only called because they rang the AW three times and nobody turned, turned up. up. Yeah. 
So, long story short, get the member reinstated and signed 150 or on the like, spot. On the spot, 150. And we go back, to, back we go back to the, the ironwork, and the cameras ran the office like we're heroes. They didn't realise what was going to happen later <laughs> on, right? And no, if the AW had turned up, the ironworkers might never have been on the power line. So yeah. it was just a, a, that was an Amiga and all that. They, they were all planned and they were all. <laughs> That was all done, right? I mean, mm. but, but, but the power line was an yeah. accident. Accident. Right? Mm. And then we go from that, the 150, I think we end up with about, what, two or 3,000 on the whole job, yeah. right mm. from one end to the other. Shop stewards mm. in every place. Mm. Mm. Membership went bang. Mm. At Glenrow, we, we, uh, we elected the first delegate I think ASCOM ever had in yeah. Victoria, yeah. Aldo Ladderback. Yeah. Mm. He was an absolute character on his own right. Mm. Uh, some of the things that he used to do at lunchtime, you would... <laughs> You, you wouldn't be talking about it on here, but he, he ended up being a real good supporter of ours. And mm. yeah, we there's Boris Lettuce down here. Was, we had uh, the camps, the whole lot. The other was, was it? Was yeah, bloody hell. So that, again, straight out accident. And mm. if the AW had it turned up, and then what did we end up doing? A, a power lines agreement with ourselves, AW, and the FEDFA. Mm. But we did most of the, the negotiations mm. and that. But that came out, that was. That they still use that agreement today when they go and using the power lines. Mm. And that's back in, what, 80, 81? 82, 81. Yeah, something like mm. It was funny, the, the boss from, from uh, uh, ASCOM at the time, was, his name was Igor Zambelli. And he, he was... So in the... And, and they, all the, the blokes on the side, Christ, they, they were terrified of him. He wasn't a big bloke, but they were, they were terrified of him. He said, you blokes should be lucky. He said... You've got a, a cabin each on this place, and the other job you had, there was three in a cabin. So said, oh, shit. So he said to him, my name's Igor. I said, Christ almighty, your old man must have been dirty on you. And he said, why? I said, any son, any son that gets called Igor, the old man's dirty on all these, these blokes. And they kill themselves laughing. They thought it was fucking hilarious. It was good. War stories, but it was, but it was a, a good one. Then from there, we, we ended up down in Portland, which was another very good agreement that was negotiated. Mm. I think you remember, Noel, the first EBA that we did for the maintenance staff. And we had that uh, Judd who we were dealing with. And uh, there was still a little bit of work going on construction at the time. And uh, we were negotiating with Frank. That was No, Jimmy Caddy. And uh, we put the logger claims. It went on and on forever. Anyway, we said, oh, so it's going to stop if, if this maintenance claim doesn't get up. And, and yeah, so Judd, Judd didn't even come back in the door. The glass door, he yelled out through the glass door, You fucking win! That was, <laughs> you fucking win! That, that's, that's how the negotiations finished. Very different. It went from there, didn't it? That would have been the best maintenance agreement, I reckon, in Victoria, if not Australia. What do you reckon? Well, it was the, con- it was the construction, construction agreement. The construction agreement simply flowed yeah. on. Yeah. Um, did we keep it? Well, two years later, there was a six-week dispute to keep it, yeah. and the site allowance was changed. But by and large, the agreement stayed yeah. intact. Still? Uh, I, I've got no idea yeah. these days, mate. That, that's before Enterprise Bargaining yeah. came in, and they took they took a different track than we did on patent agreements. Yeah. But on the question you, you ask, I think the most positive thing in terms of where the union finds itself today... The strengths of the CFMEU have been undoubtedly in Victoria, patent bargaining and the shop steward structure. Patent bargaining or enterprise agreements are starting to 
become a, a bit of a drag. Um, the government's putting every obstacle possible in, in their way. Um, you know, every agreement's got to be approved, get pre-approval before it goes to the Industrial Commission to be approved. So, I mean, in my view, thought needs to be given to what's, what are we going to be doing post-enterprise agreements. I think that day is approaching because it's now becoming a drag and members are not as quickly as they should picking up the benefits of negotiations. Um, so that's an issue. But the strength, undoubtedly, is that shop steward structure. Every job had a shop steward. Some good, some better than others. But there was a delegate. The union had a face on the job. Organisers were able to service their members. That is what's got to be continued. That's what's got to be protected. That's what's got to be fought for. And, I mean, we had disputes way back in the time we're talking about having shop stewards recognised. Little alone being able to meet at the Shell Refinery. We didn't have put in a full week for about nine months mm. trying to get a shop stewards meeting up once a week. So those are the things that have got to be protected and the ability to organise on the job is the most important. And I'll say it again. Why would you be a member of a union that wouldn't fight for itself? Yeah, just, just on that, when the Secretary left the FEDFA, we had 4,500 members. We had 42 shop stewards, I think it was. We owed the lawyers $50,000 for a court case and the Trove Valley, and I didn't know. We had an overdraft to pay our wages till, till the end of the quarter. It was over 300000 Right. So we're in the shit, right? And the first meeting we had with the union officials, we want to double the numbers of shop stewards. Because if you double the number of shop stewards, then they all get a book and they all collect money. When we, when we actually merged five years later, mm. we had 70 shop stewards. Mm. We had nearly 6,000 financial members. We had a million dollars in the bank, basically, and Everything was paid for. All the organisers' conditions and staff were all paid for for two years. And that was just because... And also we put up union dues. Everybody said it wouldn't happen. You can put up union dues before you've got shop stewards and before you've got organisers going on the job. If they see people, they'll pay. If they don't see people, they won't pay. So it, it, it just proves that if you haven't got a shop steward structure, then you don't have a union structure. Like the shop, it's the biggest union in the country. Wouldn't have shop stewards meetings ever don't really have organisers. That's why organisers don't turn up. They haven't got them. Mm -hmm. So Myers just takes the money and visits the shoppies and the shoppies go along to the ACTU Congress and yeah. talk about all horrible things, not, not industrial matters. You know, mm -hmm. just, that's, that's just the way it was in them days. But you've got to have a good shop steward structure. You really do. And you've got to have organisers that will turn up. 90% of the job. Give it the best shot and be honest with, with the workers. I used to say to organisers when they start, I never ever bought a pair of jeans on a Saturday morning. I never got a haircut on a Saturday. I did it during the week. So you can get away with things, but there's one thing you will never get away with is not turning up. If you don't turn up, you'll never get away with that. You just can't get away with it. So you've got to turn up. And you've got to give it your best shot. And the members will respond. They don't, they don't want a brain surgeon turning up. Giving them all bullshit. Just tell them the truth. And if it's bad, tell them the truth. If it's good, tell them the truth. And, and they'll respond. Okay, I'm Ralph Edwards, and I'm presenting Creatures of the Industry, a fill-in show during the Concrete Gang's well-earned summer break. Now, we're getting 
Well, we've done a, about yeah. an hour and a half. Yeah. I'm just wondering if, and we can always add to this in due course, but is there any events in your time in the industry that has deeply disturbed you? And I understand the Westgate is clearly first and foremost. Uh, you should talk about that. But are there other events or circumstances? Well, Dear Richard, Richard left is, is that far in front of anything. Mm. That was a horrible time. That's when we, 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 we carved up the carcass. Mm. The trade union movement turned into vultures and we carved up the carcass. And me and Washer went to all meetings and people swearing and yelling at us and all. This was after, you know. Mm. That, was, that was the worst part of the trade union movement that I've seen. Carving up the carcass, but but it all could have been avoided too. Mm, I know. I mean, I, let, me t- let me tell you one thing. I, I was at a secret meeting. I don't usually get invited to many secret meetings, right? Uh, Harry Harrell, I mean, Harrell. right? I get a phone call to go to the ACTU and don't tell anybody. Yeah. So I thought, well, why am I? Get-? So I go to a meeting. There's me and him. There's Cranbourne and Boastwain. 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 Uh, yeah. Me- and Bill Kelly. And I thought, what am I doing here? Norm walked in, sat down, right? Kelly must have spoke for 30 minutes and says, we're moving against you. State governments, federal governments, unions, and laid all the plan out, right? We're going to take you on, we're going to wipe you out, blah, 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 blah. And he gave all the reasons why. And then, and then he said, we can salvage it. He mentioned the Canberra secretary, yeah. I forget his name now. O'Day. Hey? O'Day. O'Day. Yeah. Or John Cummings. If if those one of those two become the secretary and you retire or resign or walk away, then we might be able to save it. Right? And Gallagher never said a word. He, this meeting probably went for an hour, an hour and a half, right? And at the end of it all, he stood up and he said, It's my union and I'm going down with the ship and walked out. Just walked out. Yeah. Kelly picked up the phone. I don't know. He picked up the phone and said, "Do what you have to do." He's rejected everything and put the phone down. Then I got told. I, I realised why I was there. I got told to start organising my crew and and start knocking builders' ladders off. That's why I was there. Mm. And that all could have been avoided. It could have been avoided. You know, I mean, lots of things could have been done. Mm. But Gallagher. You know, he thought it was his union. And, and a lot of secretaries think it's their union and their money. I mean, I could tell you dozens of secretaries who, who thought that way, you know. But it, it was just, it, it didn't have to happen, but it was the worst part. I mean, but, you know, talk about the violence and picket lines and all that sort of stuff. But, but at the end of the day, it was unions fighting unions and workers fighting workers, and it should never have happened. How do you top that? I, I think. Well, Westgate. Yeah, greatest disaster yeah. that anyone's ever known in the industry. The D Reg was a shocking experience. Is there anything else that might be a little bit smaller in scale that oh, sticks in your mind because it has some I, particular I can, resonance? I can remember every site I've attended where there's been a death. Yeah. Mm. Tommy's seen more than most, uh, including having to lift a concrete element off a bloke up at. Broad Meadows. Mm. So that's one thing that haunts you. Mm. Um, I've attended, I think, five or six. The first one was at Shell. And that's something you'd never forget. 
and you know, and that's what drives you to to um, go about your business. I mean, they have a crack. The ABCC has crack at union officials every day of the week. Um, and my my stand is if it if it means the difference between somebody's life or death, or being seriously and in some cases critically injured or impaired, and what stops that from happening is a union official going on to a job, either stopping the job or putting on a performance. If that's what it's got to take to avoid those things, that's what's got to be done. Um, and you know, I think most union officials do do the job for the right reason. And I'm talking about the built industry here. Do the right for the right reason. Those that don't should get out. But in terms of the 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 things that I wished I'd never seen would be undoubtedly deaths on on site. Yeah. And some of the injuries are just just appalling. And not only that, then you got the flow back to the family. And that's what I said earlier, and, and I think the boys mentioned earlier, the union did turn its attention to, you know, those family issues, um, and to, to their credit. Um, you know, and they haven't got a, a lot of kudos for it, but all of that stuff's important. So, yeah, I would want to see another death on, on another uh, construction site ever, but uh, inevitably... In the industry, there's one per week somewhere in the country. Yeah, that's similar. I think, uh, like in the power lines, I think just on that alone, there was uh, at least four people who died from Loyang down to down to Portland. Can I just but put this to you as you respond? People talk about return servicemen and post-traumatic trauma. Mm. I would have thought, and I'll be interested in your experience, particularly in relation to Westgate. There's still a lot of people walking around in our industry who are suffering a form of post-traumatic oh, trauma. Mm, fair question, of course. It, it's, it, it's not recognised, and the welfare stuff that we, we do as an industry and we've done through Inkalink and so on has ameliorated some of the, the extreme cases, yeah. but what would be, as we talk about... You know, a bit of a a low ebb in the conversation. Well, I, I, I think, you think some, that is. I the think case. something that that Ecolink and CBUS certainly has has been looking at is the amount of suicides in the construction mm. industry. That is a real low point. I think I think it's they say it's about three or four times higher than the national average suicides. Now, whether it's uh, you know, through Mental illness, post-traumatic uh, syndrome, or whatever it is, family breakups, it is something that that is really a a real uh, stain on on the industry. It's something that that needs to be looked at even stronger. And I think mm. that's one of the things that, whether it's in Kalinsky, I know CBUS has done it. I know Inkling have done a little bit of work on it. I think that's something that should more work should be done. Uh, looking at uh, not just the actual reasons why they're doing it, is it's it's uh, it's not just calling for help. I think if I'm, if males go down the path of suicide, it usually means it's the end. Females, it's it's usually a call for help. And I think when the male tries to knock himself and does, it's either with with a gun or whether it's hanging. And all of us have had very very close mates who have committed suicide, and it's 
You know, it's something that, that you, that's something that you never forget. One of our real good mates, Noel Winslet. Yep. You know, who would have who would have thought Noel? But then, young Lonnie, two years earlier, and then to take it even into further, uh, when we went and spoke to his wife Linda, who we knew as well, when we had this discussion with her, she said to me, "I don't know what's wrong with me." She said, three, mate, three the three men in my life have killed themselves." Lonnie, Noel, and her dad. Mm. And you wouldn't believe it. Two years later, so did she. Mm. So that's that's a whole family what Do you know what, what I can't work out? The, the construction industry attracts strong people. Yep. Physically or mentally strong. Mm. Tough street fighters, ex jail you, you yep. name it, it attracts them. And they're the ones that kill themselves. Mm. The, 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 the weaker person, I'm just using that, don't, don't seem to knock themselves up. It seems yeah. to be the tough ones. Mm. So why the tough ones, hard ones, mm. who knock themselves? I don't. I can't work that out. Oh. No, Winslow. I mean, hard as hard that, as nails, yeah. right? I mean, tough. Yes. Just, oh, you, you know, you, Ronnie Carrington. I can oh, give you dozens of people, right? Who, who, who would fight anybody and stand up, yep. but they knock themselves. I, I don't understand why. Yeah. See, if you look at the and and the right. That the, the rate that I'm particularly concerned about is amongst our delegates. At the DSA, we had 22 shop stewards. Two have mm. committed suicide. Yeah. Two of the toughest blokes I've known. Yeah. Um, you know, and they were both very strong, tough yeah. people. Um, so I don't know, and I think um, it's fair to say that at Inkling, there's been a big debate about having to address that, yes. that question. Yeah, see, that's the Um And we're encouraging um, joint ventures with the other industry parties, such as CBUS, to try and get to the bottom of it. I don't know what the answer is, um, but it happens all, all too often. And the only parallel that you could draw is what seems to be happening in our return servicemen. Mm. Yeah. Um, Tough people. Mm. You know, again, people that have seen... Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, as an official, as a shop steward, um, or any occupation related, you do take on a lot of people's anxiety, stress, and all of that, mm. and, and it simply wears people down. I think. Um, I, you know, I'm probably fortunate. I've never been in that place, but a lot of people have been. Yeah. Mm. I've certainly been depressed about an issue. I've got the shits about an issue, yeah. um, but you know, yes, it's something we need to get to the bottom at, and and I can assure you, it's something that gets raised every month at the Inkling board. Yeah. Um, to the point that we want more money allocated to it. We want a major exercise. We need to watch this royal commission into the returned servicemen yeah. very yeah. closely. Yeah. We probably should even um, send observers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's becoming a bigger and bigger yeah, issue. Yeah. Um, you know, not so much 20 years ago. It was very rare to hear of it. Mm-hmm. it but no, not, not because no one used to talk about it. No. Yeah. That that was the issue back then. It, it probably still it probably happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no one used to talk about it. You'd, you'd never you'd never get a bunch of blokes sitting around talking about. Geez, I feel. Geez, I feel shit house. I feel depressed. So let's go and have a drink and we'll, uh, we'll have a bit of a. You now get get on the piss together. Mm. Yeah, oh. I don't. Yeah, I, I, I wish I knew the answer. Yes, yeah. but, but it's really but that's, that's, that's tragedy. Absolutely, it's been coming endemic in the industry. There's no two ways about it. Now, probably we're running out of puff, and there'll probably be opportunities to add to this. 
But to finish on a high note or a positive note, what do you think is the prospects for construction workers, their union and the industry into the future? Well, I want to finish on a different note. Maybe they can, but mm. I just want to finish up. Yeah. I, I just... Us three have been workmates, mates for probably 30 years. And, and, and we made a decision one day to put a house on the line, a family on the line, but something we believed in. And we got beat. But we, don't, we never regretted it. I've gone, that's what I mentioned the first time I met these two blokes. I was the shop steward on the West Coast Bridge. He's, he's laughing already. I was the shop steward on the West Coast Bridge. I used to check the tickets in the morning. That was my job. Like nobody started until I checked the union ticket. This is 1973. Don't fucking worry when it <laughs> Right? So I, I get a phone call from the Dussel officer. He said, we've got a boiler maker starting tomorrow and he's bringing his own TA. I said, no, he's not. He's not bringing his own TA. I decide who the TA's on this job, not him. He said, it's start. I said, well, I'm going to stuff you. I'm going to jack it up. Ten minutes before knock-off time, he comes up like a little jelly, this industrial officer. Oh, we want to start in the ball and make it one start. I said, what are they, what are they dancing partners? You don't have your own TA on this job, right? And he said, what do you want? What do I want? I said, I want the next three blokes started. I pick them. And you can start your own... TA, right? And he went, oh, three, two. I said, no. So I've got three starts. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to stand this bloke up the next morning, right? So I front up at seven o'clock, check his ticket. And I said to him, listen, mate, you're lucky to be on this job. You don't have your own TA. I mean, what, what do you got a relationship with him or something? Or, he, he, you know, he, what, what do you do at lunchtime at all? So I stand him up. I said, Danny. And Danny flies back at me. Flies back at me, right? And, and has a go at me. And I thought to myself, he hasn't got the job. I'm the shop steward, and he's standing up against me. I thought, that'll do me. I walked away. <laughs> right? I was happy with that. I was happy with that. And the first time I met Noel, I get a phone call in the office. I think, I think the phone call was a Winger's rang up. Right? He's a storeman, and he's getting the wrong rate of pay. And I thought, how can a storeman get the wrong rate of pay? It's in the award. Right? So, anyway. But long story short, I go to Danham's, meet Washoe. And he's quoting the award to me. So I have a look. There's three rates. I didn't know, right? There's three rates of pay of a storeman. In- I didn't even know that. I didn't tell him that, right? And there's a, like a storeman in charge, and there, there were three different rates. And he was getting the wrong rate, right? And he was right. He was getting the wrong rate. So I think we had a meeting with Dan and got a bit of back pay or something. That's how I met. So I met these two people in industrial atmospheres. Mm. And it grew from there to be a ticket in the ironworks and also to be a friendship for 30, 40 years, mm. families and everything mm. else. Yes. So you can meet people on the job and they can be your best friends forever or they can be your enemies forever, depending on what they do and how they do it. Like, I mean, I, I, I crossed BL picket lines. Ralph, you're a good mate of mine. Me and Camo were very close. I mean, you can rattle it off because mm. I never, ever took it personally. Mm. I had a football jumper on. And if I wasn't prepared to kick goals for that football jumper, you hand your keys in and go on, right? But it's not personal. Everybody that took that personal, they, they fell by the wayside. Mm. It, it, was, it was just people doing a job. And everybody thinks they're right doing the job. But I'll tell you one thing. If, if you're not prepared to do the hard things, you, you've got, you can't do all the easy things in your life. Sometimes you've got to do hard and easy, and it swings and roundabouts. So 
all my time in the trade union movement, I really don't have any regrets. I have a couple of things I wished I'd done differently, and everybody's got that. Mm. But, but I walk down Altona Beach every morning, I walk down and say, well, I've done my bit. Mm. I've done my bit. Now it's somebody else's turn. So, perversely, being Tommy Watson, you've just answered my question. Because what you're saying about the industry and the people in it is the positive. Because that, you correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't changed. No. That is that is still there. If it ever changes, we're in trouble. Yeah. Jeez, I, I think uh, with everything that's going on, trying to be positive... Go on, go, go on. Was it telling the truth? Come no, on, 100%. No, 100%. <laughs> look, I'll, look, I'll tell Alan Aiken was the boilermaker. We'd worked. Yeah. A, we'd worked in. Uh, oh no, we played. We played in the same footy teams together. We were. We square it off. No, 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 no. <laughs> we'd already worked in Altona for two years, and Tommy starts me, "Am I? Am I being? Am I financial? Is that fucking financial?" <laughs> anyway, and I said before, I've never been unfinancial in virtually my whole life. But I think one of the things is that's the camaraderie. I think of the building mm. industry. You know. It was, if we could tell a story about working on the Altona, working in Shell, working on the Westgate, knowing all the people, and then tell a story about it, and put it in the words as without any any mayo or any sauce, people look and say, this is bullshit. Mm. The people that you meet, that, that's the industry. And I think that's one of the things that will, that will continue on. The characters are getting smaller and lesser. They're not as many around as they used to be. But I think that's Going on a, on a positive note, I think the, the working in the industry, it's, a, it's the best industry of all time. The people you meet, the characters you meet, the friendships you make, it doesn't matter whether you work on the Westgate or whether in Shell or whoever you are, if you all work on one job together and you come across each other at different times, it's like you've never, you've never been apart. So I think it's a, it's a great industry and I think to continue on. And let's hope that the leadership within the union... And I say that it's our union. We're, right. we're, we're FIA members, we're FIA officials, but our union really is the CFMEU, and I'm absolutely proud of it. And I have been for from the day that I joined. And I think I think the people within it, and I hope our leadership within our union continues on and being a strong part of the union. And I think that's one of the things that uh, that really needs to be looked at strongly. I think. Yeah. Well, I think we're all fortunate. Um, being part of the formation of the CFMU. And we were. I mean, the CFMU's only been around, what, 25 years or so, in various forms. It's had its problems and will continue to have its problems. But the key to the success of the union, and we've been at all levels from the job right through to national councils, national executives, and all of those things and various office holders has been the union's willingness to adapt to a given situation and not be locked into inflexible policies. It's been the key to its success, in my view. Um, If you look at enterprise bargaining, if you look at the willingness um, to absorb um, statutory losses into things like Inkelink and and such, it's been adaptable, it's been flexible and it's been well organised on the job and it's going to have to continue to apply that thinking. I personally think the era of enterprise bargaining is coming to an end. I think it's outlived its usefulness. I will wait with bated breath to see how we adapt to that. Um, But that has been a key. But moreover, 
And there's, look, there's been plenty of issues along the way which I thought, oh, fuck, I didn't think that would happen. But by and large, the next generation of workers will only know one union. They won't know the FEDFA or Builders Labourers or BWIU. They'll only know the CFMEU or whatever it ends up to being after the current difficulties are resolved. So that's the important thing. And the union has to have, in my humble opinion, uh, a, a strategy that's always forward thinking. Always, and you know, for all the critics that we all might have, including me mate Tom, we were always trying to be flexible with our approach. Right. We were always ready to be practical to the point of getting the best result for the members. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. It's why you're in a union. It's why people pay to be in a union. And I just expect that that will continue and the union will go from strength to strength. We've had plenty of highs in the last 20 years. We've had a few lows, but we've had plenty of highs. But look at the reasons for those highs. It's the organisation on the job, it's the organisers, it's the command structure, and it's the ability to adapt to the challenges that have been thrown at us. And by fuck, there's been a lot of them. Um, we've had a government for 30 years that's tried to eliminate us. We're still here. And if we're quick, smart, and adaptable, we'll, we'll be here for another 30 years and far beyond. Long be- before we're all long gone. At least that's what I expect, that's what I hope, and that's what I want to leave behind. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. And can I just leave you with this thought? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Our old mate, Camo, used to say, once an iron worker, always an iron worker. Maybe he was wrong. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dougie. You have been listening to Creatures of the Industry, the Concrete Gang's fill-in show for this summer, and there will be more interviews to come over the following weeks and hopefully an ongoing series well into the future. Thank you for listening. For a hard and weekly pay Produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA If some of the discussions in today's episode of Creatures of the Industry were distressing for you or have raised any questions or triggers, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit lifeline.org.au.